Our New Testament scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 through 27. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of God for the people of God. I love the, the blessing of the backpacks. I, I love seeing children up here. Do, do, is that, isn't that just warm your heart? Um, that, and, and just to see, see it all taken up here. I love what's happening with the children and the youth here at St. John. Uh, you know, several weeks ago. I love what happened with the parents pulling together and saying this is important. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to express that to you. Uh, do, do you love that? Yeah. Um, do you mind if we just kind of like just this? And this is for God. Man, that is just, that warms my heart. This is a long portion of scripture uh, that we have here, Matthew chapter 7. You'd be, I think it'd be um, just wise if you just kind of open up your Bibles to this and just follow along today so that you can see um, what's going on here and just look at it. It's one of those passages I just wish today during the service I could be like, listen, let's do this. Why don't you read that and we'll just sit and meditate on it because it really is kind of straightforward. Uh, now, one of the challenges as a preacher when it comes to preaching is to just look at a passage and preach on it, but keep it within context. Do you know what I mean by that? In other words, there's stuff that comes before it, there's stuff that comes after it that matters. And when you lift things out of context, I believe we live in a world today where everyone's really good at lifting things out of context, and, and it causes everyone to say, that's not what I meant. All right, we tend to do that with scripture and being a preacher, uh, the challenge is always taking things and putting them within context and preaching on it that way. And it's so important that we do that. And I'm saying that because this, this um, passage that we're going to look at in a few moments, it, it contains sections in it that are famously lifted out of their context and I'm preached on that. Today, I wanna give a sermon with these things in context. 
because I think you're going to glean from that, you're going to learn from that, and when you look at the scripture, you're going to really understand what's going on here. So you ready to learn? You want to learn something? Good. So let's do that. Well, today's scripture is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is just a wonderful, wonderful, ultimate sermon, if you ask me. And it begins in Matthew chapter 5, and it goes through to Matthew chapter 7. Just two chapters right there. And you really, when you get the chance, really read through that. And, and don't just read through it with understanding. Read through it with the intent that I'm going to put these things into practice with my life with my living. And there have been people throughout history that have approached Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and they put these things in practice, and guess what? They went on to change the world. That's how powerful these words are here. And even more so, Jesus is pre preaches the sermon, and in the rest of the gospel, you can see Jesus living these things out for real, just like bringing these things to life with his life. And that is so important when you approach this sermon. So when you get a chance, really read through it again with that intent to put these things into action. But this portion of the, um, our scripture today is actually um, the, the ending of Jesus' sermon. In other words, he's wrapping things up after everything he just said. And what you have in this section of the sermon are basically a set of warnings a set of warnings, and then an invitation to discipleship. And, you know, and we're going to talk about that in the next few moments. Now, what is interesting here is that this beginning section about entering the narrow gate. I want to read that to you real, um, just really quick again. And um, let me see here. And there are many who take it. Now, verse 14. For the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. We're going to focus in on that right now. Because with these words about the narrow gate, Jesus is coming right out. And he's basically saying that what, I'm, what I am asking you to do and how I am asking you to live as human beings in relationship with each other is difficult. It's hard to do. And he's really explicitly just pointing that out right now. The narrow gate is difficult. And if you really think about this, what Jesus is saying here is very sad. Now, I would, I would venture to say that most of you have never looked at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and thought this is very sad. In fact, you're probably like, this is good. Jesus is telling us how to be. He's telling us what to do in order to, you know, please God. But if you really think about it, what he's doing, and this statement here that living this life is difficult, is really, it's sad. It's heartbreaking. It's very sad that at the beginning of his sermon, Jesus actually, actually has to tell the people not to be angry with each other. Don't be angry with each other. Because you know what that does in your heart when you're angry with each other? Well, I'll tell you what it does. You know, it, it, he equates anger with murder. Because a heart of anger can be that fierce. Have you ever been angry with someone? Your answer is yes to that. 
We've all been angry with people, and the things it does to your heart, just a little, you know, sense of anger right there, it causes you to think and feel things that are very uncomfortable. And if you really engage in those things, it can lead to devastation, can it? Because of an angry heart. Look at Cain in Genesis. Look what anger and jealousy and all that did to his heart. He ended up murdering his brother. You see where it's leading to? Do you see why Jesus attaches anger to murder? And it's very sad that Jesus has to tell us not to be angry with each other. It's very sad that Jesus has to address the ungodly lusts that exist in the hearts of so many people. And there's plenty of evidence that the lusts of the heart lead to things like adultery and divorce and more heartache and broken relationships all the way around. And the ripple effect to that is terrifying. It's terrible. It's devastating. So it's very sad that Jesus has to come. God, you know, came to us in Jesus and addressed these things. It's very sad that he had to address these things, don't you think? It's sad that Jesus had to tell the people to be honest people. Don't take an oath. You know, uh, you know don't swear to God when you're taking an oath. Just be a person of integrity. Just be good to your word. Can you do that? Or that it is better to let things you know, go and live in peace rather than seek vengeance. Can you picture the congregation listening to the sermon? Oh, really? Because that's not how we've been living. And it's sad that Jesus has to tell the people to not go around making judgments of one another, of each other. We're all very good at that. You know, Jesus said much more with his sermon, and honestly, it's sad. It's quite sad that Jesus is basically saying that holy and righteous things are difficult. That loving each other and living peacefully with each other is difficult. That's heartbreaking. And Jesus knows that these things are difficult because he knows full well the condition of the human heart. And if you read through Jesus' sermon carefully, you will see that everything he is addressing is about the human heart. And not how healthy it is, but actually how sick it is. Basically, Jesus is saying that we as human beings have a nasty heart condition. And that is, by and large, what you see throughout the scriptures, a portrait of the condition of the human heart. Jeremiah chapter, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says these words, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, their actions, according to what their deeds deserve. What Jesus is saying here with the narrow gate 
and how it's difficult to put holy and righteous living into practice because of the natural condition of the human heart and how it's bent toward things that are not pleasing to God. That's the natural bent right there. That's where our compass is pointing, the opposite direction. Well, Jesus saying all this is an echo of Jeremiah chapter 17, 9. That the heart is beyond cure. But here's the thing. Jesus is providing the cure to the heart issue. Amen? Oh, that's a big a. Amen? Amen. Jesus is providing the cure to the heart issue. I love that. First, by being the cure. And second, I want you to pay attention to this because we know Jesus is the cure. But second, through spiritual rehabilitation. The renewing of your hearts with these words. Listen to these words. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. That's the spiritual rehabilitation part. It's difficult, and there are few who find it. So again, Jesus here is literally addressing your heart and the actions that spring forth from your heart, your Christian living. It turns out how you live and your day-to-day actions matter. They matter greatly to God. And when you're reading through this verse, don't think about the easy road that leads to destruction as hell. Don't think about it that way. And don't think about the narrow gate as being heaven. But consider the life you are living right now. Where is that leading? Where is that leading? Because Jesus, as far as I can tell with his sermon, is concerned about the life you have right now in the present. And you can do something about that. Your actions matter. And I think it's obvious when a person continues down a path of destruction, it only leads to more destruction. We've seen it. And it adds up to a sad, miserable existence, and we've seen that. Maybe we're there. I don't know. But on the flip side, when one leads a life of virtue by living out the life prescribed by Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount, and the life of Jesus that he lives throughout the Gospels. That life prescribes a life of holy love and one that is self-giving, and that life leads to an abundant life in the here and now and as well as the future to come. It's not an easy life. It doesn't say that. It's difficult, but it's an abundant life full of joy and reward, not just for you, but for the world around you. And God sees that. Now moving on, after these words, Jesus continues to wrap up his sermon. We're still in the end part of the sermon here. But he does that by telling the people that there are those out there that are bent on leading them away from the narrow gate that he just referred to. The life that Jesus is inviting them into. And he refers to those people as false prophets. Okay? Well, what is a prophet? You have to understand what a prophet is in order to understand a false prophet. Listen, um, most people 
when they hear the word prophet, they immediately think about a one who can foretell the future. That's, you know, you hear that, oh, a prophet, and they're, they're going in that direction, right? Listen, that's only part of it, okay? The main role of a prophet, you should know, is to direct people back to God. That is the main role of the prophet, to direct people back to the covenant according to God's will. And we're in a covenant right now with Jesus the Christ, right? He ushered in the new covenant with his resurrection. And we celebrate that at the table. But a real role of the prophet is to direct people back to the covenant, back to God. Think about that for a second, because I remember um, there are situations that occur in the world that cause um, these like YouTube sensations coming out. And they say, well, this person predicted this and this and that and this and that. And they look to the future, and it's always one of dread, isn't it? It's always one that's disastrous. And I always tend to get questions during those times, okay? This person is saying that. This is what's going to happen. And they said, is this person for real? Are they a prophet? And I always ask the people that fall into these videos, have they mentioned God? Have they mentioned godly living? Have they, have they pointed the people back to Jesus? Or are they just pointing the people to doom? Doom is easy to predict. Doom is easy to direct the people to. But love and the future kingdom of God is hard to direct people to. So when you see those videos and you read those things and you, you ask yourself, is this person's main agenda to just scare us or to lead us back to God? Think about those things. Okay, so a prophet's main role is to point people back to a godly life, to God. And Jesus here gives us a warning about false prophets who are bent on leading us astray. And he tells us that we will know them by their fruits. Well, what does he mean by fruits? By fruit, Jesus is referring to their spiritual character. Instead of love, they are filled with anger and malice. Instead of being self-giving, they are selfish. Instead of humility, they are pride-filled. They lack patience. They lack understanding. They don't even want to understand. So here's what you do to spot, you know, to spot this. J just take everything that Jesus talks about in his Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 through 7, and flip it. Go the opposite direction. That's bad fruit. These false prophets are out to deceive people. And listen to this. Jesus was most likely referring to the religious elite of his day. The Pharisees and the scribes, okay? But today, there are many people and many things that are seeking to, to deceive us and lead us astray, right? To get us off that narrow path, onto the path of destruction. Just drive down the road and look at a billboard. <laughs> You'll see it. Buy into this, right? Listen, a false prophet doesn't have to seemingly be a, you know, be a seemingly religious person. A false prophet is anyone seeking to get you off the narrow path. They are simply deceivers. Do this, and they encourage the bad instead of the good. Now, after addressing the deceivers, okay, of this way, Jesus gives a warning about those who are self-deceived. This is where it gets real. This is where it gets scary. And what he's talking about uh, here are those people who believe they know Jesus, but they really don't. I want you to think about this for a second. How does it make you feel when I say that Christianity is more than a confessional statement? I believe in Jesus Christ. Christianity is more than saying that. 
I think one of the grave mistakes that the church has made throughout history is taking the entire scripture, all of the scripture, 66 books in the scripture, and they just kind of narrow it down into one confessional statement. Christianity is more than a confession. And listen to this, the pressure to confess has forced many false confessions, like an innocent person being worn down from interrogators, right? We'll get it out of them. Usually, you know, that leads to a confession of exhaustion rather than one of truth. And there's a lot of people out there, they go up to people and throughout history are like, do you confess Christ? Do you confess Christ? And they just exhaust the people. And finally, yes, I do. Get away from me. Right? Listen, a confession through relationship is a lot, lot better than one out of exhaustion and force. Christianity is more about living through the confession that you make. You know, John Wesley, um, he faced this. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he faced this in his day. Um, he, he, you know, people were leaning on their baptisms. Of course I'm saved. I'm baptized. <laughs> okay. I'm a member of a church. Of course I'm saved. Do you see what I'm getting at here? It's more than a confession. It's more than a piece of paper. It's more than spending time in church. It's beyond the hour of worship into a life of worship. That's what we addressed last week. And the point here is that you can confess Jesus as much as you want, and you can lean into his name as much as you want. But if your heart, if your heart does not match up with your confession, then they are just empty words. Paul addresses this issue head on where he writes, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It begins with the heart. It is deeply rooted in the heart. The life that Jesus is inviting you into at the very core is a matter of the heart. Why? Because apparently humanity suffers from a heart condition. And again, Jesus is prescribing both the cure and the treatment. See, we know about the cure. We know about Jesus, but we forget about the treatment plan, right? So I want to leave you with this statement. Jesus himself is the cure, and living according to his words that Jesus has spoken is the treatment plan. Okay? So what this comes down to is discipleship. What is a disciple? It's a learner. It's a student. And as a disciple, we have to take tests. Are you going to pass the test? I hope you do. The test is your living. It turns out that you can't just confess Jesus Christ and just have a go at it and do whatever you want. Your living matters. Why? Because Christianity deals with the heart. Let your confession be secondary to the life you're living, to the one that Jesus has called you into through the heart. Amen? Amen. Amen.